What's so cool about that is that was this morning. That was the 9 o'clock service. So uh, all of y'all missed out. But it's okay because you got to see Dave's story. Isn't that really cool? Really, really cool. And you need to know this. That's the reason why we do all the things that we do is because we know people are going to show up who one day they realize that they were far from God and that God loves them. So I just want to say thank you so much. Today is my 18-year wedding anniversary. I'm so stoked. I'll tell you, my wife and I, we have spent 17 of the best years of our life together. I'm joking. That was a joke. Um, no, uh, but I'll tell you, I'm so thankful for my wife, Kim. I'm, she's in here somewhere, but I just want to let you know I love you, babe. And uh, I want to just kind of let you guys know, um, it's just a pleasure being your pastor. Uh, I love our staff. I love Ryan and Josh and Luther, and I love uh, the people on our leadership team and our elders. And it's just uh, the whole reason why we do this is to point people towards Jesus. So just want to give you guys a heads up. Next Sunday, we're going to be finishing our Coming Home series. And the following Sunday is Christmas Day. Now, I'll give you a heads up. We had talked about it, and we prayed about this, and we're not going to be doing church services on Christmas Day. And for a couple of reasons. The first thing is this. We believe one of our core values here in our family ministry is what happens in your home is more important than what happens at church. So we're going to encourage you guys to worship together as a family at home. So uh, we're going to be giving you some resources. We're going to be putting up a video online so that you can be able to do that. We were praying about and thinking about doing a Christmas Eve service here, like uh, the night before. And then uh, we were told by the school that they're going to be resurfacing all of these floors and that we can't be in here. <laughs> so that kind of put the kibosh on that. So anyway, uh, but 2012, we're going to do a Christmas Eve service. And you're invited next year. All right. So anyway, cool. All right. Uh, we're in this series called Coming Home, and it's uh, talking about the prodigal son. And uh, I love this story because it's the most popular story that Jesus told, and it's my favorite. Uh, it was after listening to somebody teach on this, uh, on this story that I'm, God just really put a burden in my heart that, hey, we need to start a church for people who are far from God. So, uh, and that's how one church got started. As a group of people got together and we prayed and we realized that there's a lot more people far from God than they are close to God. In fact, this story, and this is what's so cool about this story, that Jesus told this in a broader context. He's telling this story and there's two groups of people that he's telling it to. In fact, this if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. If you don't have a Bible, we give them away free at the resource table. Um, if you have a web-enabled phone, you can go to YouVersion, you can download it, and you can follow along on your phone. This is Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. And let's look at the who and the why of the context of Jesus told the story. And this is what it says. Now, the tax collectors and... What is that next word? Sinners. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear him. That's Jesus. And this is what we talked about last week. The people who were not nothing like Jesus liked being around Jesus. People who were nothing like Jesus liked being around Jesus. And that bothered the religious people. In fact, it says this. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, those are the religious people, they muttered. What did they mutter? <laughs> This man welcomes sinners and even eats with them. It's in that context that Jesus launches in to this third story called, many times called the prodigal son. It says this, to illustrate this point, Jesus told them this story, a man had how many sons? 
two. Now, the reason why I want to bring out the two sons is because so many times people call this the parable of the prodigal son. But it's really the parable of the prodigal sons because in this story, we see two sons that both of them had a busted up relationship with their dad. Now, we're going to see in this, there's two groups of people listening to the story. There's the people on the outside People who don't go to church, people who know that, they're, that know that they're broken, know that they're messed up, know that their lives has no meaning. And the Bible calls them tax collectors and sinners. If you have a different translation, it may even say notorious sinners. So you have that group of people, and you have the religious goody-two-shoes who thought their stuff didn't stink, and that they were perfect, and they kind of kept up the religious facade. And it's these two groups that he tells a story of two sons. One, the younger son we looked at last week. We looked at this younger son who was kind of the hell child. He had a, a theme song of his life, and it was this, Born to be wild. Y'all know that song? All right, that was his song. It was written about him. We looked at him last week, and we saw this guy, this young son, wished his father was dead, wanted him to get all of his stuff, all the stuff that he could. He goes off to a distant country, spends it all, and then he realizes he's messed up. And last week, our big idea was, we talked about a churchy word, and it was the word repentance, or repent. And we talked about that repentance is not an emotion about feeling bad. But repentance is the motion of stopping where you're at, turning around and going home. That repentance is the, about motion of going back to where you belong. And today we're going to be looking at the elder, the older brother in this story. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading. Um, this is in verse uh, 11, and I'm going to read through the entire rest of the chapter. We're going to look at the story, and then we're going to pull some principles out of this. And it says this. Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. What land was that called? Hookertown. That's what it is. It's in there. And there he wasted his money on wild living. About that time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the what? Pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Now, there's a Greek word for that. It's called nasty. All right? Looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses... He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as your hired. What's that next word? Servant. Very good. So he returned home to his father. And that's where we ended last week. He returned home. He repented. It's not about an emotion of feeling bad. It's about emotion of going back to where you belong. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer being worthy of called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is. What's that next word? So the party began. I liked it. That's where we stopped last week. I got to be honest with you. I wish that's where the story stopped. But it's not. Jesus keeps on telling more of the story. And the reason why it doesn't stop here is because, you got to remember, he's telling this story to the religious leaders. I mean, they have this problem that people who are nothing like Jesus like being around Jesus, and they had a problem with Jesus. They're wondering, how, how, how come Jesus wants to hang out with people like that and doesn't want to hang out with us holy, righteous people? So the story continues because it's really not about the younger son at all. It's about the older son, the older brothers, these people who think they have it together more than they really do. Let's continue reading. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and if there was a soundtrack playing while I was speaking, it would change. It would go bum, bum, bum. The older brother was in the, in the sun. He's the fields. He's coming in from working. When he returns home, he heard music and dancing in the house. I'm sure it was cool in the game. All right, celebrate good times. He's asking one of the servants, hey, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother is back. And your father has killed the fatted calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. What does the older brother do? Look at what it says. The older brother was angry. And wouldn't go in. The father came out and begged him. But he replied, all of these years I've slaved for you. We're going to talk about that word. And never once I refused to do any single thing you asked me to. And all of that time you never gave me even one young goat to feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours came back after squandering your money on prostitutes. You celebrate by killing the fatted calf? His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed with me, always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. Why? For your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let me tell you. If you're a Christ follower, if you begin a relationship with God, there's only two options you're going to have. The longer you go in your Christian walk, in your Christian life, you're either going to have more of the heart of the Father in this story, or you're going to become more like the heart of the older brother. Those are the only two options. And Jesus knew that. That's the reason why he's telling the story. That's the reason why he didn't finish it the way he did, but he talked about the older brother. Jesus knew that we all have the tendency to drift towards the elder brother syndrome. All of us. We have this tendency of becoming less spirit-filled, less grace-filled, less mercy-filled, and we start becoming more judgmental, more angry, more bitter. Let me tell you, our big idea today is simply this. 
Elder brothers equate religious activity with spiritual transformation. Elder brothers equate religious activity with spiritual transformation. Let's all say that out loud. Elder brothers equate with spiritual transformation. That is so true. And it doesn't matter if you've, what denomination you grew up in or how much you've been to church. If you're a Christ follower, we have this tendency to we mix the two. We think if we can be active in religious stuff, if we can, be, if we can say some prayers or we go to a confession or we or say some prayer, rub some beads or we give some money in an offering plate or we get involved in some place or if we get involved in a Sunday school or a community group, if, if we can just get involved with stuff, that spiritual transformation happens, but it, it, we, that doesn't happen that way. It can, but it doesn't always happen that way. Because older brothers, or if you're a sister in here, older sisters, we have this tendency to equate religious activity with spiritual transformation. Let me explain this to you how it worked out in my life. I grew up in church. And um, some of you didn't, but I did. And one of these things, I, sometimes I could confuse elderly with elders. And let me explain this for a little bit. Elders is, a, is, a, is actually a leadership position in the church. And it describes somebody who's spiritually mature and running hard after God. Somebody who is passionate about Jesus, somebody who reads their Bible daily. And I mean, they're not perfect, but they're, they're getting more like Jesus every day. That's elder. But I confuse being an elder with elderly. Because, you see, I, sometimes we see people who are older, and I thought, you know, okay, they're more like Jesus. Because they've been in church all of their life. But let me tell you, that's not always the case. Anybody agree with me? I've seen a lot of people who they're 70 years old and they're less grace-filled, they're less mercy-filled, they're less filled with love, and they're less like Jesus than they were that they were 20. Because it's, it just doesn't automatically happen the longer you spend time in church, the more you become like Jesus. But let me just tell it this way. I didn't say this first service. It's like the sun. The same sun that melts ice can harden clay. And the more you're in church, you're either it's going to soften your heart or you're going to become hard. Don't equate just being in church and around church and being around Jesus in the Bible is becoming more spiritual. Because older brothers equate religious activity with spiritual transformation. So let me talk to you about the slow descent of the elder brother disease. And in order to do this, I need to have two columns. All right. The first column is over here is called knowing God. Everybody say knowing God. On this column over here is doing things for God. Everybody say doing things for God. Let me tell you, when you begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're over here. It's all about knowing God. Somebody kind of comes up to you and tells you about Jesus and you're excited and you're passionate, right? And, and, and you, you go to worship because you want to know God. You read the Bible because you want to know God, all right? You serve because you want to know God. I mean, you get involved in people's lives. You get into a community group or a Sunday school all so that you can know God. 
All right? I mean, you pray not because you have to pray, because you want to know God. It's all about knowing God. That's where it starts. That's when it's fresh. And it doesn't matter if God told you to stand on your head, you would do it. As crazy as it sounds, because you want to know God. Let me tell you, it slowly drifts to over here to just doing things for God. And they kind of look the same, but they're not. Over here, you read the Bible. Not to know God, but because you're supposed to. Here, you serve. Not to know God, but because somebody's bugging you to death and making you feel guilty. Over here, you give money. Not because you want to know God, but because you think that's what you're supposed to do. And you're doing the same things, but what you're just doing is you're just punching your time ticket. Chick-ching, chick-ching, right? And it has nothing to do about knowing God. It has everything to do with just doing something. And it's the externals. Still doing the same stuff, but there's something deeper over here that you want to know him. And that's what we're talking about here. It's easy to become like the older brother and just start chitching and just doing stuff for him. It's easy to be over here. And some of you today, that's where you're at. You're over here. And it's slowly drifted from knowing about God and being so fresh to getting over here and just punching your time card. If that's you, God's going to give you some hope today. Because we're going to be looking at five things about drifting into this older brother, this elder brother disease. And the first one is simply this. Elder brothers are too busy to intervene and get messy for God. Elder brothers are too busy to intervene and get messy for God. Now, let me read this verse and then I need to talk to you about a practice um, back in the, old, uh, in the Old and New Testament times. It says this. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And a few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in what? Wild living. All right. Now let me tell you, how many of y'all were here for the more series that we did? Any of y'all? All All right. Some of y'all. Okay. Y'all remember when we talked about the whole idea about um, the... uh, uh, the older brother gets what? The birthright. Y'all remember that? All right. This same thing plays into here. If you remember, that whole birthright had three things about it. The older, uh, the older brother would get twice as much money as the younger brother. The second point is the older brother was the authority of the family. He was the judge. And if anybody ever had an issue, nobody voted in the family. They came to the older brother and the older brother decided... Now, it's that point that I want to bring out here because what should have happened in this situation where the younger son had a problem with his dad, what should have happened is the older brother should have served as mediator, got involved in this relational dispute, and should have become the authority and judge and worked this out. But that's not what happened. The older brother didn't get involved And chose to do other things and to get busy and not get involved in this mess. Let me tell you how this works in church life. Alright, this is, this is huge. Because so many times in church life, 
we see church people, once they become to know Jesus, they start removing themselves from all other people and all other things outside the church, and they get busy in church. Again, I can tell you my situation. I remember coming to know Jesus, and I went to church on Sunday morning. I went to church on Sunday night. By the way, on Sunday afternoon, I came and I played handbells for the church. And some of you are wondering if I'm really a man. I am, but I did have own my own gloves. <clears throat> I went, so I played, I, I played handbells Sunday afternoon. Sunday evening, I went to church, right? And then Monday, we hung out at church at the, at the activity center there. Tuesday, I went on visitation at the church. Wednesday, a bus came and picked us up here in Clarksville, and we went to the activity center. And I spent all afternoon, Wednesday evening, afternoon, Wednesday evening, in church. And then Thursday, I would hang out at church. Friday night, we would go roller skating to church. And Saturday night, I don't think we went to church, but Sunday, we'd go twice. And here's the crazy thing about this, is I got so involved in the church that I no longer was getting involved with people outside the church and in their messes. You remember? Older brothers are too busy to intervene and get messy. Let me give you a statistic. This is from Joel Aldrich's book, Relational uh, uh, Evangelism. It says this. That 85% of people lose all relationships with people outside the church within one and a half years of becoming a Christian. Did you hear that? That somebody like Dave, who you heard his story, I mean, was an atheist. That his natural drift is in a year and a half for him not to have any relationships with people outside of this church. Now, the reason why that's a problem is because we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. In fact, Jesus, who did he hang out with? The religious goody-two-shoes, or did he hang out with the people who were busted up? Busted up, right? And it's crazy that people who had busted up lives loved hanging out with Jesus. Jesus loved hanging out with them. But when busted up people come into this place, they go, there's one back there, man. These people are crazy, right? I mean, it's just... Because we get so inward focused, so inward focused, and we refuse to get messy in somebody's life. You heard Dave talk about this, but a lady who was sitting right down here, her name was Sam, Samantha, invited Dave to church. Because Sam refused to just run from people, but she got, chose to get messy in Dave's life. question is, what will you do? Will you choose to get messy in other people's lives? Will you choose to intervene? Let me show you the second thing. The elder brother syndrome. Elder brothers live with a sense of obligation. And obligation says, I have to. I got to do this. Older brother, I mean, he comes from the field. He's been working all day. And he's been working like a dog. He's been serving. He's been busting his rear, trying to make his father proud. He comes in, and this older brother hears dancing and music and everybody whooping it up. He looks over at the pen, and the calf that he's been feeding for a few years is dead. In fact, there's a carcass. He's going, what's up? And one of the servants says, hey, we're having a party. Yeah, I see that. What's going on? Well, your brother, your younger brother, you remember him? I remember that. Yeah, I remember him. Mm-hmm. What's it what? What's happening? He's back. Look at what happens. The father comes out and pleads with the older son, come on in. 
Look what happens. The older brother responds, all of these years, I've, what's that next word? I've what? Slave. I've been a slave. I've been slaving for you. I've been working and working. I've been slaving for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. I mean, listen to the obligation in that statement. I mean, what's ironic about this is the younger brother had the busting up relationship with his dad. He says, Dad, I want you dead. Give me the money. The dad agrees. He goes out. He squanders it. He realizes he's messed up. And he's, and he's created a speech in his mind, and he knows that he can never be a son again. He's not even going to ask for that. He's asking, can I just be a slave? Can I just be a servant? Because he is left. Now, the older brother never left, but he, he's not a living life as a son either. He's working as a what? A slave. And so many of you, you know how this looks like. Because you're supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to read the Bible. You're supposed to pray. You're supposed to serve. You're supposed to feed the homeless. You're supposed to go and and visit these people. You're supposed to get into a community group. You're supposed to work with babies. You're supposed to, supposed to, supposed to. And let me tell you what you've you've settled for. Cha-ching. Cha-ching. Let me tell you. We are called human beings, not human doings. And we can spend all of our time doing, 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 doing that we miss the point of just knowing our Father. And that is where this guy is at. And some of you, if you're honest with yourself this morning, you're there. You're tired. You're exhausted. You're exhausted with playing the same game over and over again and trying to earn your way closer to God. Trying to impress God. When we don't have to earn our way to get close to God at all. Jesus did that once and for all. All we have to do is just be and know Him. I mean, let me ask you a quick question. What relationship do you have in your life? What relationship would thrive on a sense of obligation? Think through that. Those of you who are married, let me see your hands. How many of you would like your husband or your wife to love you because they're supposed to love you? Is that good enough? No. I don't want my my wife or your husband or your wife to... I wouldn't want them to say, you know what? I, I want to love you just because I'm supposed to. No, I want them to love me. And I'm telling you, there's not one relationship that will prosper over a sense of obligation. In fact, this is what Tim Keller says in his book, Prodigal God. He says this, Neither son really loves the father for himself. They're both were using the father for their own self-centered ends, rather than loving and enjoying him and serving him for their own sake. This means, listen to this, that you can rebel against God by, and be alienated from God, either by breaking his rules... Or by keeping all of them diligently. Did y'all hear that? You see, there's no guarantees. Just because you don't smoke, don't chew, and don't go with girls who do, that ain't enough. God just doesn't want actions. He wants your heart. He wants to know you, and He wants you to know Him. That's what it's about. Third thing, elder brothers have an attitude of entitlement. And entitlement says, you owe me. You owe me. 
Listen to what it says in verse 29. All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do not a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with all of my friends. And Tadamah says, why them and not me? And Tadamah says, why is she getting married and I'm not getting married? Entitlement means, why is he getting a raise and I'm not? Entitlement is, why does their children always seem to get A's and seems to do well and my children don't? You see, the reason why you're not happy with your house right now is because you think you deserve better. Come on, tell the truth, shame the devil this morning. The reason why you're unhappy with your car isn't because it's a clunker, but it's because you deserve better. The reason why you want out of your marriage is because you think you deserve someone prettier than she is or he is. You see, the reason why you're unhappy in your life is because you think somebody owes you something more than what you've got. And that is a sense of entitlement. And we start bringing this mess in the church that God owes us. I mean, do you see what I'm doing? Do you see what I just gave for you in the offering bucket? You owe me, God. Give me a blessing. And I, t- I tell you, what's so crazy about this is when we start living this way in our lives, we begin to crave a relationship with God based upon what God can do for us rather than just who God is in our lives. He is the great I am. The fourth symptom of the elder brother disease is this. Elder brothers feel superior by being what? All right, again, let, we're all safe. We're people in here. I don't know you. You don't know me. How many of you, the reason why you didn't come to church for as long as you did is you were afraid somebody was going to judge you? Let me see your hands. All right, I see you. All right. You see, well, the reason why so many of us don't go to church is because we think somebody's going to judge us by not acting right, not doing right, not wearing the right clothes, all of this stuff. But judgmental, being judgmental says, I'm better than you. And we're not called to have that attitude as Christ followers. In fact, look at what it says in verse 30. Yet when this son of yours, notice he doesn't say, my brother of mine, but he says what? This son of yours. But yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatty calf. Notice, he doesn't say this brother of mine. All of y'all who are married and have kids, y'all know what I'm talking about. Because when your son or daughter messes up and you go to your spouse, what do you say? Hey, this son of yours, he's jacked up. Let me tell you, I, this is what I know about life. It takes two to tango. All right? So if you've got a son, and I know you're not the Virgin Mary, the reason why you got a son is because you had a man. And if you a man, you had a woman. So it's not you. But see, here's what we have a tendency to do. We, and this is what the brother's doing. He's separating himself from this younger brother. So that he can judge him. He is distancing himself so he won't look bad because this younger brother looks bad. That's what he's doing. And don't we have a tendency to do that in church so many times? I mean, when we see somebody fall and mess up, we... You really messed up, dude. In fact, somebody says this. It's the church, the church is the only place in the world that shoots their wounded. That is true. In fact, let me tell you just briefly. Let me tell you what judging is and what it's not. Judgment is not just pointing out when somebody has done wrong. In fact, the Bible says we should do that. 
All right, nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you what's wrong with being judgmental. And this is what we're not supposed to do. Judging another, and this is what's negative about it, and we should not do. Judging another is when you speak from a distance with no compassion, no obligation to help, and you're kind of happy that they failed. The Bible says don't have that type of attitude. But Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, if you see somebody with a speck in their eye, what are you supposed to do? Supposed to help get it out, right? But before you do that, what are you supposed to do? Take that plank out of your own eye, right? So being judgmental isn't just pointing out. That, that's not being judgmental. That's being a friend. In fact, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, um, Wounds from a friend are better than kisses from an enemy. And what that means is when a, a true friend, when you're screwing up, is going to tell you, Hey, you're messing up. You shouldn't go out with her. You've got a wife. You need to go home and stay out of the bar because you're spending your paycheck. That's not right. That's a true friend. Let me tell you what's not a true friend. When they're separating themselves and going, yeah, let me tell you, let me tell you about Jim. He's really messing up over here. And he's jacked up. You gotta, that's gossip. And that is wrong. That is wrong. I just, I, I just, I think one of the biggest problems we have a tendency to think somebody who is a committed Christian. And somebody who has the elder brother disease are the same thing. And Tim Keller says this in this book. It is natural for younger brothers to think older brother disease and Christianity are the same thing. And it's the reason why many of you stayed out of church for as long as you have. Because you think what you're going to experience here is a whole lot of judgment. A whole lot of condemnation. And the Bible never ever once speaks about that. Man, I, I just, this whole sense of entitlement and obligation, I'll never forget. I'm going to tell you a negative of what happens in my life recently. About a year ago, somebody asked me to go up to the Nashville Rescue Mission. And uh, it's a, a place where um, homeless men and uh, people who struggle with addictions can go and get help. And they'd asked me to come and teach about the prodigal son. I mean, this is filled with irony. So I'm thinking, going up there thinking, man, I'm really going to bless these men with all of my knowledge. They're going to be amazed. And I went there expecting to give them a blessing. And you know what I got in return? I got blessed more than they ever did. And I got a whole lot of double portion of humble pie. Because I heard men who literally were on the brink of themselves. Their life busted apart. Their family not even willing to acknowledge their existence. And them talking about saying, I love Jesus. And yeah, I may have some problems, but it ain't that big of a deal. Now, their problems is not being able to pay, you know, for a place to live. And I put that next to my problems. And I go, I am really an awful person. I live with a sense of entitlement. And, and I'm having to teach this to them. And I'm starting to think, I may be more like the older brother in this rather than the father. I don't know how that works out in your life. We got the opportunity, our small group, to go to the National Rescue Mission again just last month. And my attitude was totally different. I, I, I didn't quite know exactly what I was going to teach on. I know I wasn't going to teach on this. And, uh, man, I just went and I said, you know, God, I don't know what you want. But I know I'm going to receive a thousand times more blessings than I can ever give them. And I totally got that. I totally got that. Elder brothers 
older sisters live with a sense of obligation and entitlement. And the last one, elder brothers harbor resentment. Elder brothers harbor Mm -hmm. resentment. And what resentment means is you're unforgivable. You're unforgivable. Some of you, you're here today and you know about resentment. You know about unforgivable because you will not forgive somebody. Some of you are here today and your husband or your wife stole something precious from you and they stole from you the dream of I do forever. And they walked out on you and you're angry. Some of you are here today and you've been abused. You've been abused emotionally, physically, God forbid sexually. And that person has taken something from you. And you're so angry and bitter with them because of the hurt and the pain that they've caused. And you're harboring resentment and you're not willing to forgive them. For others of you, I mean, somebody has hurt you deeply by stealing money from you. And you're just, you can't let it go. Because if you let it go, then it's like it never happened. And you hang on to it. And by you hanging on to it, it's like hanging on tightly to a porcupine. It's never going to go well for you. Let me tell you about unforgiveness. And y'all have heard me say this a lot if you've been here at one church. Unforgiveness... And your willingness to not forgive somebody is like drinking poison and expect it to hurt somebody else. It never works that way, does it? Let me tell you what anger and bitterness and unforgiveness, it won't destroy them, it will destroy you. Always. And older brothers have this tendency not to forgive. Look at the last few verses as we close. Verse 28. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. And this is interesting that the father, and we're going to talk about this next week, the father who ran to the son, the younger son, comes out and begs the older son. Look, dear son. Look, dear son. You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. For your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. I love the word dear son here. There's two Greek words for son. There's the word huios, and that just means son. It's more of a title. But then there's this little Greek word called technon, and it means my dear little child. It's it's a sign of infection, affection. And this old father comes out and says, my technon, my dear little one. This father who has extended grace to the younger son, is also willing to extend grace to the older. The father who extended grace to the one who needed it, the younger, extended grace to the one who needed it, the older. And this is huge because, i got to be honest with you, my tendency in church, I want to run to the younger sons, but I don't want to extend any grace to the older. And that is wrong. We must extend grace to the grace killers because if we don't, we become a grace killer ourselves. We have to love the people who think they have it all together. And we have to love the people who know that they don't. So where are you at in this story? Where are you at in this story? You know, the crazy thing about this story is Jesus just stops right there. He doesn't end the story because the father comes out and says, please come in, older brother. Please come in. 
And what, what does the older brother do? We don't know. You know why Jesus ended it that way? Because Jesus wasn't the one to finish the story. He was waiting on the Pharisees and the religious people to write the story for themselves. Because the jury was still out. Will these religious people, will they accept the sinners and the tax collectors and will they accept Jesus? Will they, will they be able to accept a God who loves the unacceptable? And it just ends right there. And here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. The reason why he ends that way, he's, he, he's given you and I a choice this morning. By saying, what will you do? Will you become like the heart of the Father and always extend grace, always extend mercy, always extend love and live the rest of your life? You will come into the parties when people are lost and you are far away. You come in and you embrace them and you love them and you encourage them and you dust them off and you help them. Or will you become... Like an older brother who will become more angry and more bitter and harbor more resentment and have more entitlement and more obligation. And eventually at the end of his life, he will have a broken relationship with his father and he will have a broken relationship with everybody else. Because nobody can live up to his expectations and neither can himself. That's the choices. Let me tell you where I fall on this, guys. In our church. I want our church. We're only four years. I want our church 40 years from now. To have the heart of the father. To always run with arms open wide. But will always offer grace to people. Who think their stuff doesn't stink. That's what we need to be. That's what we need to stay. That's what God is calling us to.